We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Next all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. It's 3.02, which means the NBA trade deadline has officially passed. The Knicks made a splash last night, but will any more deals trickle in? Welcome to the Putback with Ian Begley trade deadline special. I'm Chelsea Sherrod alongside SNY NBA insider Ian Begley. And today we're also joined by the Fred Katz, who does an incredible job covering the Knicks for The Athletic. And of course, our guy CP, the franchise of Knicks Fan TV, is with us as well. Remember that you are the point guard of this show, so you dictate what we talk about. So get your questions into the comment section now whether you're watching on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube. And as always, let's kick things off with the baseline. Ian, we're past 3 p.m., so where do things stand now? Um, I don't have full confirmation that everything is done and the Knicks are totally done, but I I did hear that on the Zach Levine front, nothing was uh, imminent, and the Knicks had told somebody that anything getting done there was highly unlikely. Um, So I think you can cross Zach off the list at the moment. Uh, with regards to others like OG and Anobi, I think the Knicks had touched base with Toronto today, but I, I always had the sense that that was unlikely given the uncertainty around OG's contract situation, although I think some with the Knicks were undeterred by that. Um, and I think the Knicks in general were comfortable uh, getting off of picks, getting off of first-round picks to make a significant deal happen. Uh, again, don't have full confirmation that they're done yet, but uh, it seems like that's unlikely right now, but it gives you an idea of how aggressive they could be maybe in the offseason with these picks. All right, Ian, well, let's talk about the guy that is coming here. Last night, the Blazers were minutes away from tipping off at home against Golden State when Josh Hart started saying his goodbyes to his teammates on the court. And moments later, you were the first to report that Hart had been traded to the Knicks for Cam Reddish in a protected first-round pick, Ian. How did the deal for Josh Hart come together? Well, man, Chelsea, I would love to take credit for that, but I got to give credit to my guy, Woj. Uh, for, he was first on that one. But uh, I will say that in that deal, 
I think that was spearheaded by Leon Rose. Leon Rose um, had been among the people in the organization who were very high on Josh Hart for a long time now. Leon Rose represented Josh Hart when he was uh, an agent at CAA. So Josh Hart had been on their radar for a while. Um, and I think that what it came down to was Cam Reddish needing to find a home for Cam Reddish. I don't think the Knicks wanted to be in a situation where they would have had to buy out Cam Reddish or they had a, a disgruntled Cam Reddish on their hands after the All-Star break. So Portland having interest in Cam Reddish, Knicks also having to add a first-round pick, future first-round pick that was protected to the deal, uh, makes the whole Cam Reddish situation, I think, a little bit worse for them. But in Josh Hart, they get a guy that fits Tom Thibodeau's ethos, that can defend on the perimeter, uh, really strong rebounder. So this was somebody that, again, Leon Rose had targeted, and Leon Rose gets his man. Yeah, CP, you've been really high on the Knicks getting a guy who's a serviceable player, a guy who can provide some bench help for the Knicks. What do you think of the Josh Hart acquisition? Yeah, bench help and, and also defense. Uh, I like the Josh Hart move. He's a guy who's averaging nine points per game and eight rebounds per game. As Ian said, a strong rebounder. Nick's 21st in the league in defensive rebounding percentage. Josh Hart ranks not in the 99th percentile in his position in defensive rebounding possession. So he's going to help there, clean up the glass, which also helps our defense. I would imagine, I'm not sure how the lineups are going to look, but if Josh Hart is coming off the bench, I think in this nine-man rotation, if Tibbs continues that, that way, you have Josh Hart in with Emmanuel quickly in the backcourt. I like how they can run defensively. I also like the fact that Josh Hart, averaging 3.9 assists per game, can play make for that second unit, which has been much needed. That way, you can have Emmanuel quickly playing off ball in some regard, and then either or Josh Hart playing off ball as well. So I think he's going to add a dimension of, of veteran leadership, some toughness as they make this stretch run and try to fight for a playoff spot. I think it's a good move. Yeah, he's one of the best rebounding guards in the league. And Fred, I'll come to you. How will the Knicks utilize him and how much will he improve their rotation? Well, we can only speculate on that one right now on just how they're going to use him because I was actually at Knicks practice in Philadelphia today. And because the deal has not been made officially official, then uh, Tom Thibodeau was not able to talk about it and was only able to be super cryptic. Uh, what I can guess is that they are going to use him as a way to somewhat spell Quentin Grimes. You know, Quentin Grimes, if you look at like matchup difficulty data, which measures just how often you guard the other team's best player, Quentin Grimes is one of the hardest defensive jobs in the league. He is always on the other team's best perimeter player every night. And you know what? Josh Hart has actually played that role a lot of the time for Portland this year. He has a lot of experience guarding those kinds of guys. And I think we're going to see times where he maybe gets to spell Quentin Grimes, spell R.J. Barrett when they're either playing a team with two really good wings or something like that. I, I agree with CP. I think he could be really good at the top of their second unit defense. I'm assuming that Grimes is going to continue to start and Hart's going to come off the bench, if only because Grimes gives them like a connector element and most importantly, a three-point shooting element that, that Hart is not going to match. Hart is really hesitant taking three-point shots this year, like more so yeah. than usual. Uh, a thing that I would look really forward to if I were the Knicks as well he has a unique ability to be able to grab it. It's not just the rebounding. He has a unique ability to be able to grab a defensive rebound and just go coast to coast. Like one of the best in the league legitimately at being able to do that. And you pair him in that second unit with Emmanuel Quickly, who plays with a ton of pace, Obi Toppin, who plays with a ton of pace. I think that could be a really exhausting unit to have to go up against. And it's a serious change of pace from that first unit, which plays a very slow, methodical half-court game and I think we could see a sort of uh, 
sort of stylistic juxtaposition between those two units grow even more with the addition of Hart if he ends up playing with the second unit. Okay, we do have a fan question for you, Ian. It's from Curtis West. He says, glad to see the Knicks didn't fleece. Do you guys think Hart re-signs or rental? I mean, I would I would think that the Knicks have assurances that he's going to re-sign. I don't think they do this deal with the context of everything at play here. Again, Leon Rose was his agent. Uh, CAA, uh, there's close ties still, obviously, with the Knicks and CAA agents because of Leon Rose's history there. I wouldn't think they do this deal without the idea that they're going to have a very good chance of re-signing Josh Hart because, you know, if he walks, and particularly if he walks and they don't make the playoffs, I mean, that's that's horrendous. So, yeah, I, I would be very surprised if Josh Hart did not end up back here uh, once he declines that player option. I would assume he signs a new deal with the Knicks. Yeah, yeah, I agree on that and that point. I don't think they would uh, part with those assets for a rental on Josh Hart. And, and to Fred's point on Hart's defense and being able to spell Quentin Grimes and R.J. Barrett, that's very important because if you look at the way R.J. Barrett has been defending as of late, I think this has been his worst year as a defender. And he has been drawing some tough matchups, Quentin Grimes as well. And so Josh Hart, although he's not the six, seven, and up wing that a lot of fans are looking for, he can play big. He can play, he can guard all three positions. He's tough. He plays physical, he plays hard. And so I think that's very important. And don't be surprised if you see this guy closing in lineups in uh, uh, R.J. Barrett's absence or even Quentin Grimes because the Knicks are going to need that on the stretch run. Wing defense is going to be very critical for them. Yeah, Yeah, the other part of this is that you have a very – I mean, Josh Hart has one of the weirdest for the contract nerds out there, for the CBA nerds. Josh Hart has one of the weirdest contract structures in the league where it's not just a non-guarantee next year, it's a player option as well. Uh, so it's almost like a mutual option, like MLB style. And and what they can end up doing also with his salary, with a $13 million salary, is you see the Knicks loading up on these sort of middle-class type of salaries, right? It's about what Derrick Rose makes, Evan Fournier, just those money, that money in like the teens, right? And the reason they like that is because you can p- compile two or three of those guys together when they're expiring deals. And you can trade that for a super, super large salary. And that is ultimately what you have to think of when you evaluate moves this front office makes, right? They want to go star hunting at some point. And Josh Hart's player option date and his guarantee date is after what the NBA draft is this year. So what you can do is he could, say, pick up that option and you could include him as part of a deal, as part of a star trade if something pops up at the draft. It gives the Knicks a little bit of flexibility there. You piece them together with Rose if you want to pick up a team option or Evan Fournier and all of a sudden you could be bring back 30 something million, maybe 40 something million in salary. And there's a lot of cap maneuvering that they can get with Hart too. So, so if he were gone, it might not necessarily mean that he just doesn't pick up the player option and then bounces for elsewhere. It could be because it actually really helps the Knicks put together some sort of big time trade that they've obviously been seeking since even before they went after Donovan Mitchell. All right, let's switch gears over to the guys that are still on this Knicks roster. Ian, you wrote an article today about Obi Toppin and his future with the organization. It's past 3 p.m., and it looks like he's staying here. Is that correct? Yes, he is staying here. There's no deal in place for Obi Toppin. I don't know if Fred knows, but I haven't heard yet if they're fully done. I would assume they are, but don't have full confirmation there yet. But I do know nothing in place for Toppin. Uh, Teams had been in touch with the Knicks on Toppin, and – 
the Knicks had kind of held firm, I think, at a certain price point. They said they were comfortable keeping Obi Toppin past the deadline. I think they were looking for significant trade, comp- uh, excuse me, draft compensation. I know Indiana was among the teams that had interest in Toppin. I think a few teams had been in touch with New York on Toppin. But here we are with Obi Toppin playing around 10, 11 minutes a game behind Julius Randle. And I don't see a scenario where his role expands. So I just wonder in terms of what the future holds for Obi Toppin and the Knicks, you know, he's eligible for an extension this summer. Knicks don't have to give him an extension, but at some point, if he doesn't have a role, I would assume because of, uh, for basketball sense, and also because you have a good relationship with Obi Toppin, you drafted him, he's he's very familiar with people in your organization, you would do him a solid and send him somewhere where he can expand his role. Didn't happen at the deadline. Some teams thought they had a shot but it's just something that I would keep an eye on as you get to the off season here with the Knicks. Yeah, Ian, I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of your analysis there. I, I What's interesting about Toppin is, you know, people, the way that they have put the roster around, it's not just the Tom Thibodeau thing, right? Where they put a roster around him, which kind of discourages Tibbs from using Toppin as much as he possibly could, where they could have put this roster together last year where, say, they they could have encouraged just with the structure of the players they had on the roster, they Randall and Toppin to play more. But they signed Isaiah Hartenstein to a two-year deal. They converted Jericho Sims over to a full-time deal. They held on to Julius Randall, which obviously has proven to be a very good decision. They re-signed Mitchell Robinson. And so you give those sorts of players to Tom Thibodeau, and you know how he's going to use them. So it's not like the front office, at least with their actions, was actively saying, you've got to play Obi Toppin more. That being said, I know there are people in that front office who believe that there is a lot more to Obi Toppin than what we've seen. There's a lot more to Obi Toppin than what he's shown. And there are a lot more to Obi Toppin than basically the role that Tibbs has given him over these past couple of years. I don't see it changing. Uh, I think it's probably going to be the same the rest of the way through. Uh, you know, he, they have a coach who strongly believes in rim protection and while Toppin plays really, really hard and will make quick decisions and all of those sorts of things, uh, you know, he, he struggles with team defense. He, he really does. He will be in the wrong place. He'll get lost. And it's not because of effort. He just struggles to get into the right places a lot of the time. And it's hard to, to stay on the floor for 35 minutes with this coach in that sort of way, especially when you're not going to block shots and that kind of stuff even by just kind of where you are on the floor and your athleticism. So, so I see Toppin saying in a similar spot, and I agree, maybe something happens over the summer. But Ian, another thing to mention here, that, that you mentioned the relationship with Josh Hart and his representation, Obi Toppin has the same representation as yes. well. Obi Toppin yeah. is represented by CAA. He's represented by Sam Rose. They have the extension possibilities coming up this summer. He's a restricted free agent a year after that. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of things so much of the NBA just happens because of relationships and people who get along well. And, and I'm sure that plays into this too, where you have a good relationship with that representation and there's just not the sort of discord, you know, there's not the sort of disagreement that there could be if that representation representation wasn't there to, to sort of ease, you know, ease the situation. Yeah. And CP, you said a few weeks ago on Knicks Fan TV that the Knicks completely mismanaged Obi Toppin. And I know there's a lot of Knicks fans that are thinking that, you know, this situation is also stunting his growth in a way. How disappointed are you to see how his role is on this team currently? 
Yeah, it's, it's been very frustrating. And when I say mismanagement, it, it's twofold. Number one, it's on the coach who has been reluctant to play Obi Toppin and Julius Randle in extended minutes. We did see them uh, play together when Mitchell Robinson was, was hurt earlier in the season. But uh, since Mitch has been hurt lately, we, we ha- just haven't seen it. We've seen more Isaiah Hartenstein and, and, and more Jericho Sims. And then from a front office standpoint, you know, Fred hit it on the head. The front office almost doubled down on their investments in the Knicks front court in the offseason, re-signing Mitch Robinson, signing Hartenstein, re-signing Jericho Sims. And so uh, they continue to give Tom Thibodeau what he wants, and, and that is more of a traditional big to provide rim protection at the five. And so there is an opportunity cost to all of that. There is an opportunity cost to uh, Julius Randle having an all-star season and you re-signing him, which is which was, to me, the, the correct move to make. But there is an opportunity cost, and unfortunately, it, it's going to come to the detriment of Obi Toppin's minutes. He's a guy that can help the team, whether it's getting out in transition. We've seen his three-point shot uh, come along. He's been, he's been playing more efficiently with limited minutes, but I don't think see that changing. And unfortunately, there is a financial incentive for him when you're looking at when he's looking at his future and his contract coming up in the next few years. That limited playing time is going to cost him some money, and so I, I have to assume that he and his camp are frustrated with the lack of opportunity. And who knows, you know, maybe there's a change of scenery coming in the off season, but just not now with the deadline. Yeah. The thing with um, Toppin Randall, I mean, I, I've talked about it in the past, but I think the, the plan when they drafted Toppin was uh, at some point to trade Julius Randall. Obviously that plan goes awry when Randall plays as well as he does, but the, there, there was a roster imbalance there. And, and I would assume, yeah, at some point it, it gets addressed. And again, there were conversations here leading up to 3 p.m. Um, Knicks holding out a high price for Toppin, which they should. But I also think at some point you, you do a solid to a player who is, does not have a big role here. All right. Just a reminder to get your questions into the comment section for Ian, Fred, and CP. We do have a fan question, guys, from Ben23. He says, you mean to tell me no one wanted Rose or Evan. So, Ian, in all seriousness, what could the future look like for Evan Fournier and Derrick Rose? Well, Evan Fournier still under contract uh, for another season. So I would assume that the Knicks are not in any hurry to get off of him, even in, maybe in the offseason. Uh, once he becomes an expiring deal, I think that it's a more palatable um trade chip to have. I think it's going to stay where it is right now with Fournier in terms of being out of the rotation if everyone is healthy. And I think with Derrick Rose, you know, Milwaukee had talks with the Knicks on Rose. I think they didn't end up having enough left over to make a deal on Rose. Um, I assume other teams had checked into, I believe, Sacramento, at least expressed some interest. Uh, but I wonder now, does Rose seek a buyout? Does he stay here the rest of the year? And does he ride out uh, the rest of his contract team option for next year? Uh, it's, I'm not sure which way he goes. I do know that you know some people around him felt that they'd be able to get him to another spot at the deadline. Uh, but what his future holds here, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, one thing that I do feel relatively confident about is this is an organization that has a lot of loyalty toward Derrick Rose. I do think there is some motivation for them to try to do right by him. Uh, if Rose really wanted a buyout, I think it would be within the realm of possibilities for them to give him one. But let's also remember how Derrick Rose operates at this point in his career. He specifically said, I mean, he has said it flat out, he is not trying to chase a championship. He's not trying to chase a ring. Uh, he may not want that. 
And there are actually advantages for the Knicks holding on to Rose, who will probably be a free agent this summer. But there is a chance that he wouldn't. Like I said, if a trade for a star pops up on draft night, they could pick up his $15.6 million team option for next season, which would be an expiring deal. And they could help use that to help trade for a star and compile salary. Uh, I, I think that's something, I know that's something that the front office has floated as well as a possibility too. And it might be a reason they may not want to do a buyout, even if it saves them some money in the short term. Uh, Rose has also taken on such a willing, willing role, mentoring guys and helping the young guys and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I do think with Fournier, they were just never, you talk to teams around the league and they just never expressed to anyone that they were willing to tack on draft picks to Fournier in order to unload that strategy in order to unload that contract, I mean. And that strategy is, it makes perfect sense because basically no matter what the Knicks did, even if they could wave a wand and they could magically remove Fournier's salary from next season's books, they still would not be below the salary cap this offseason. So functionally, it doesn't actually do anything removing him from the books. And again, like Ian said, he's one of those potentially expiring contracts they might be able to move in a trade this summer, which is part of the bigger plan. So, so they weren't trying to even attach two second round picks just to get off of Fournier, who from everything that I've gathered has been nothing but a professional taking on this role. And, and I think everybody behind the scenes really has a lot of respect for how he's done. So if he's not causing a problem, they don't really feel the rush. And I think there's something that they're definitely going to come back to over the summer. We'll see if they actually find a way to move him. But it, it's something that they, I'm sure they will come back to during the offseason. Yeah. Another fan question from Bouncy Boy. I'll give this to you, CP. With the heart trade, is Deuce McBride the one falling out of the rotation? If Tibbs continues with the nine-man rotation, I would think so. And I think it's it's a it's a better movie. Josh Hart is a better player. Uh, I like Deuce McBride. He's been playing well as of late. He's, he plays very hard. He's been pushing the pace as of late. Starting to knock down his three point shot. Obviously, his defense has been pretty consistent this year. But for me, Hart is is an upgrade at that role, and maybe move Deuce McBride to a more situational role with this team. But you know, with, with Josh Hart, he is the better player, and and with the Knicks making this this push for the playoffs, I would think that. Tibbs would opt to go with him in the nine-man rotation over McBride. Yeah, I think that's logical. I think, you know, I don't think he's going 10, and I think Deuce is, is likely the guy to sit. But I think, you know, you talk a lot about the Knicks and, and not developing players, not playing young guys like Obi Toppin enough. I thought they did pretty well to find significant minutes for Miles McBride and to allow him to learn on the fly, learn on the court, and I'm sure that's going to help him in the long term. And I think, look, uh, offensively, we all saw sometimes he made shots, but often um, he wasn't making shots and getting off the bounce was a little bit of a uh, an issue against some defenders, but defensively, he's right there. So I think there's a lot of reasons for optimism around Miles McBride, and the Knicks gave him a chance to learn again on the job, which I think dense into the narrative a little bit that they're not, Tom Thibodeau is not uh, developing young players. All right, we are about 20 minutes into the putback tread deadline special with Ian Begley, CP the franchise, and Fred Katz. And guys, we're just going to switch gears over to Cam Reddish. The Knicks gave up a first-round pick to acquire Cam Reddish, um, and they gave up another first-round pick in the deal to trade him. How much does the Reddish saga impact any evaluations of the Leon Rose administration? I'll start with you, Ian. Yeah, I think it has to. I mean, listen, I, I think if you, Josh Hart helps them 
elevate to a place where they're contending year in and year out in the Eastern Conference and they're, you know, one of the elite teams in the conference, I don't think anybody's going to look back at the Cam Reddish deal and, you know, think too much of it, hold it against this front office in a significant way. But if the Hart deal doesn't work out and you're just going to kind of take steps back and look at how the Knicks got there and the Reddish deal it was a mess. I mean, look, you don't make that deal Bobby Marks has said it, and he knows you don't make that deal without the idea that your coach is going to play a player like that. So it just revealed a disconnect at that time between the front office and the coaching staff. And then you know the other issue here is there's politics at play in the league. And I don't know if this is an element in, in this particular case, but sometimes when you you have a player, you trade for him, you, don't, you use him in the way that Cam Reddish was used by the Knicks, the agency representing that player gets turned off in a big way and is less inclined to do business with you uh, moving forward. Now, again, I don't know if that's the case here, but that is an element uh, at play in general in the league where teams and agencies just don't see eye to eye on something and then agencies are less likely to, to play ball with the team. So it's just those are a couple of things I think about on Cam. But again, Josh Hart helps them uh, to an Eastern Conference championship one day. No one's going to care. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also important to reach back if you're talking about the first round pick they gave up for Hart, if we're really going back in the history. They traded what was a, a, a first round pick belonging to the Charlotte Hornets, very heavily protected, to Atlanta for Cam Reddish. And that pick, that Charlotte pick that they got, they got because they were, as Leon Rose said at the time, kicking the can down the road on their own first round pick, which was going to be the number 19 selection of the draft. So they really passed up on the number 19 selection for something that didn't really help them down the line. And that, I think, is the greater thing. But to me, the ultimate thing that I think about when I think about the Cam Reddish situation in the Knicks, and, and now it's over and it's done and we can talk about it in summation, to me it's representative of a coaching staff in the front office that are not necessarily always in synergy. And the, you look at the greatest organizations, and they have some proponent of synergy across all verticals of the organization, across ownership, across management, across coaching, and even into the locker room, right? And just because this happens one time doesn't mean you can never have that, and it doesn't mean that you can't have that in other areas. But the Knicks made the Cam Reddish trade knowing that Tom Thibodeau was not necessarily a Cam Reddish fan. Uh, the front office should not have been shocked by the fact that this is the way that it went. Uh, and, and so I think that honestly, that might've kind of sent up alarm, alarm bells to some degree within the front office with people saying, okay, you know what? You're going to make trades. And I think there was already some of this mentality already. You're going to trade for a guy, make sure it's a Tibbs guy that at least he's going to play uh, for what it's worth. Tom Thibodeau is a huge Josh Hart fan. I mean, I've, I've heard him talk about Josh Hart uh, unprompted. I, I remember when they played the Blazers in November and somebody asked a generic question about the Trailblazers. And he said, I think, four words about Damian Lillard and then just went on a, a love letter to Josh Hart about how he's the greatest rebounding guard in the league. And, 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 and look, Tibbs is the kind of person who you do not need sources to know if he likes a guy or not. He has a very, very, very particular <laughs> type. And that type is a dude who is hard-nosed, who is going to go at guys, who just revels in all the gritty stuff, who is, is going to care about all the things that he cares about. Josh Hart fits that description. Miles McBride fits that description. Quinn Grimes fits that description. 
Tibbs is a huge fan of all of these guys. There's a reason that he was pushing the organization to get McBride, to get Quentin Grimes. And I would not be surprised if he at the very least endorsed this trade before it actually happened because he's been very openly a Josh Hart guy before. But I think being able to find that synergy to where, okay, this is a guy our coach likes too. So let's make sure that this works because even if we think that in a vacuum, this is a good trade we're making. If our coach won't play him, it doesn't matter. We don't exist in a vacuum. Uh, and so I think, I think that's something the organization is much more cognizant of now. Uh, and it's unfortunate that it took a Reddish situation to get it there. Uh, but but that's, that's, a, that's a big part of, of the Cam Reddish era in New York as well. Yeah. I, How do you feel? I have to yeah, agree with, with, with both Ian and Fred. Uh, hit, hit the nail on the head. When I saw this, when they made the deal, and then you saw that his playing time was very sporadic and it just seemed like they had no plan, it was clear to me that there was no synergy. There was no no plan. There was no alignment between the front office and the head coach, in particular on, the, on, this, on this topic of Cam Reddish. And so it just made no sense to part with a conditional first-round pick, a nice asset uh, for a guy that you really had no plan for. And to watch this team, especially this season play shorthanded under men undersized when you have a six eight wing sitting there on the bench twiddling his thumbs it just didn't make any sense to me and so as, as Ian pointed to a potentially a political conflict I agree with that you know if I put my tinfoil hat on and I look at when Cam Reddish came, went from starting games to coming off the bench to being an absolute zero you know to this team Something had to have been something had to have happened there. I'm just not sure uh, the experiment is over, but you know this is certainly going to be a blip on, on Leon Rose's resume. No front office bats a thousand, but as Fred said, you have to be in alignment when you're going to make these acquisitions. That is this a guy that our coach wants? Is he going to fit what our coach is looking to accomplish offensively, defensively, and do we have a plan to play him? Because where the Knicks are right now, in the middle tier of the East. I feel like they should still be evaluating talent, right? They should still be looking to see if they catch a diamond in a rough and see if they get lucky here through player development where they have something here. But they they never really gave it a chance. And, yes, Cam Reddish is, is far from a, a, a perfect player, not efficient. People were knocking his practice skills. But I still thought he, he warranted a longer evaluation with his organization. It just didn't happen. Yeah, one guy that everyone wanted was OG Ananobi. Everyone was watching the Raptors. They did not go into sell mode. Ananobi is still on the team. CP, this is a guy that you were really high on. You called him in the putback in the episode yesterday. You called him a two-way wing player that this team desperately needs. Are you disappointed that the Knicks didn't get him? If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A little bit disappointed. As I said, a two-way wing, uh, solid defensive player, 25 years old. And unfortunately, when you're looking at some of the, the the deficiencies that the Knicks have in their perimeter defense, I look at a guy that can certainly help, especially from a positional versatility standpoint. But for whatever reason, whether it was, you know, whether it was Messiah wanting too much for him or the team just couldn't get it done, uh, he's not here. Uh, am I disappointed? Uh, not so much because while he is a, a good defensive talent, depending on what the price would be, it, it's hard to, you know, if Ian was saying three first round picks, it's, it's hard to part with that for a guy whose offensive ceiling is not yet known. He's not an all-star by any stretch. And so if it was price, why this didn't get done, I can understand it. And so uh, it's a little bit disappointing, but uh, I, don't, I don't, you know, it's not the end of the world that they didn't get an Ananobi. Right. I think that the Knicks, I mean, even without the assurances on the contract for Ananobi, I think there was still some thought of, hey, let's be aggressive there just because of his talent and the way that he would fit the roster. But, you know, at the end of the day, you can't afford to give up what it would have taken. And I think Masai Ujiri was looking for three picks or two picks and a, and a very talented young player. And you can't sacrifice that if, if you think that the, the guy might leave you next summer. Um, but, you know, on old Ananobi in general, I know Memphis was in there. And I think that that's something, too. Often you hear about trade conversations taking place now. If a deal doesn't get done now, often things get revisited uh, by dra- around the draft. So I, I would assume that OG's name comes up again uh, ahead of, into draft night and maybe the Knicks revisit it then. And one thing you have to consider as well is that the OG Ananobi market in part dried up a little bit, right? Because the Suns are one of those teams that I know kicks tires on OG Ananobi. Right. When they use up everything that they have on Kevin Durant, it removes something. Uh, so there, it, the market is it evolves in a certain way that, 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 that really changes things as it goes along, right? Uh, and and with, with Ananobi, Toronto was asking for the world. I mean, there, there are people you talk to in the league and they'll tell you Toronto asked of them. They wanted three picks and a good player, three first round picks and a good player. And they're just trying to take everything from them. Uh, what I think is I don't think Toronto felt rushed on Ananobi. He's got another year left after this one. I don't think they felt like, okay, he's got to be traded right now. I think they believe that if they have to move him over the summer, let's say, then they're going to be able to do it. They have other guys who they could have been more urgent to move to, right? Fred Van Vliet is an upcoming free agent. Uh, Gary Trent Jr., upcoming free agent. 
Uh, Pascal mm-hmm. Siakam has another year after this one too, and and they end and then they end up going out and getting Yaka Pertle. They've been trying to get a center since basically there were actual Raptors running around Canada. So so they <laughs> they actually went and they added the thing that they have been wanting to do for a long time. Uh, so it's it's just because it happened now doesn't mean okay that's that's it. The market, I think, changed a little bit for Ananobi, too. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll still have a very high asking price for him if they start listening to offers, you know, this July. Yeah. Ian, you mentioned Zach Levine at the beginning of the show. You know, he's been linked to the Knicks for some time now. What's the latest on that potential match between Zach Levine and the Knicks? Yeah, I think that in general, the Knicks, at least today, I don't think they were ready to meet the price that Chicago was asking for. I, I think that if they touched base, but they had told people earlier this afternoon that it was unlikely to happen. So they communicated that uh, early on this afternoon. And I think they're always going to be linked in some way just because of um, the past history, including obviously today, of them uh, looking at Zach Levine. You go back to when Leon Rose first took over his first offseason they were doing their homework on Zach Levine before he was going to hit his first free agency. Now, I think similar to what we were talking about earlier, this is something that could be revisited around the draft. But some people within the organization, I think, didn't see uh, a match between what the Bulls wanted and then bringing Levine back and then having the Knicks take that next step with Levine. So I think there's going to be have, have to be some adjustment on what the Bulls are looking for in order for it to make sense for the Knicks. But we still have several weeks of basketball to be played here before we get to the draft. So maybe both teams' analysis on their own players change a little bit prior to the draft. Yeah, for sure. All right, this is just another reminder to get your questions and comments in for Ian, CP, and Fred. We do have one fan comment from RGT85. He says, at the end of the day, at least we are Knicks fans instead of Nets fans. (laughs) A little bit of shade there. So on that note, Ian... The other team in New York took took the late night headlines around one in the morning East Coast time. Reports came out that Kevin Durant had been traded to Phoenix for a package of players and picks. This was obviously just days after Kyrie Irving was dealt to Dallas. And what led to the Nets deciding to go full rebuild and trade away, you know, their biggest asset, Kevin Durant, to the Suns? I mean, I have to think that they knew at some point, whether it was at the deadline or in the offseason, Durant would force their hands again. And maybe he did prior to the move. But I think the writing was on the wall once the Kyrie Irving trade happened. I know that you know, there was a lot of reports about the Nets and Durant kind of touching base. But a lot of teams looking at this thing felt that it was just a matter of time before Durant would again reissue his trade request either publicly or privately and force his way out of Brooklyn. So the, obviously the Phoenix Suns put together a really strong package and they get to the finish line. And one thing on the Nets, I think they wanted to get something done late last night or, or early this morning with the idea that they could continue to, to look at the market and make moves. And I know that even today, I believe they had some talks about Ben Simmons and I think at least one team in the Eastern Conference had some interest in a deal, but ultimately they move forward with Simmons now. His future, I think, is going to be uncertain um, for the rest of his net tenure because of how things have played out. But they did want to try to make some moves today. They did one with, uh, excuse me, Jay Crowder, and some teams called on Mikhail Bridges, but the Nick, the Nets ultimately obviously stand pat there. 
and move forward with what they got from Phoenix. CP, how do you feel about this? Are you surprised at this move at all? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, once Kyrie Irving was dealt to the Mavs, I, I put a tweet out there on Twitter. I said, I wonder if Phoenix reengages uh, with the Nets to, to acquire Kevin Durant because Phoenix, as we've seen, is is a team uh, that was kind of desperate. You know, the, the Chris Paul era, they were looking at that window kind of closing in terms of their championship window. You have other teams in the West improving, the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, the Mavs getting better, Clippers playing well. And so the West is there's a lot of parity in the West. And so the Suns had to make a move. And they were getting desperate. And so once Kyrie left, I figured that this was going to be the next domino to fall because I, I just didn't see Kevin Durant sticking around for any sort of rebuild here in Brooklyn. He seems like a guy that just wants to play basketball and have a chance to win championships. But I just have to wonder what happened here where the, this big three just completely flopped, the biggest flop in, in big three history here in Brooklyn. I just don't understand. You have Kyrie Irving commenting on this trade yesterday saying, I'm just glad Kevin Durant got out of there. So what was so bad in Brooklyn where on the surface from what we saw, these guys came in, they brought in their own coach, they brought in Harden, they made the trades that they wanted to trade, they got DeAndre Jordan his money. When when Steve Nash flopped, they got Jock Vaughn and they were said that they were happy with him. And then things just completely fell apart. You know, whether it's lack of availability, the injury history, Kyrie Irving's theatrics, this one is, is one of those unsolved mysteries, but uh, as RGT said, it is still a Knicks town. So shout out my guy, RGT85, and uh, speedy recovery to him. Can we talk about the other side of this? That people are talking about the Nets. Like, I'm, I'm going to be the Brooklyn Nets optimist. And I realize that the majority of people viewing or listening to this show right now are probably Knicks fans and probably want to bash me on the side of the head for saying that. But the Nets are not in a terrible position right now. Yes, Kyrie's gone. Yes, Kevin Durant is gone. There is no argument to be made that they're in as good a position as they were when they were, say, the title favorite. But they just loaded up on a whole ton of guys who are long wings who can defend and many of whom can shoot. And that's a good thing. They have a lot of quality players. Mikel Bridges has an argument to be made as maybe the best role player in the entire NBA. Uh, I, I think, by the way, we talk about OGM Nobi as the guy that can get moved. I can't imagine, if you're the Nets, why you would move Bridges before you get an idea of what an Ananobi market could be. Because you could build off of that, right? Oh, Ananobi costs two unprotected firsts and a protected first? Well, then Bridges has got to be three because that's the same sort of role, right? And you could probably get a ton waiting on an Ananobi move, which is probably going to come sooner because Ananobi has fewer years left on his contract. But they have Royce O'Neal. They brought in Dorian Finney-Smith, who hasn't been quite as good defensively this year. But when he's at his best, really can be an argument for like an all-defense caliber guy. You have Ben Simmons, who obviously is on the massive contract and has obviously taken massive steps back, but is still a wing who can defend well. Claxton's having a phenomenal defensive season. And then you have other guys. You brought in Dimwitty, who's a long point guard. You've got Harris, and you've got Curry. Like, they have quality players. They have some guys who can shoot. They're a little lacking on playmakers. But the thing that's good for them is that they now have four unprotected picks from Phoenix. They have another unprotected pick from Dallas. And I would bet that they are not going to make all of those picks. They have a bunch of guys who are really good if you put them around some sort of heliocentric star. Five unprotected first-round picks can get you a heliocentric star. 
And you can put those guys around them. You can put a Royce O'Neal, a Dorian Finney-Smith. You can, you can put those sorts of players around those guys and just have guys who can shoot and who can guard and who can play hard. And they, they have something. Like, I know the Rockets have a bunch of their picks. They have the swaps. And everybody's salivating over, oh, the Rockets' future is going to be great now because of this. I'm not totally convinced that the Nets are just going to bottom out. And they don't really have the incentive to do it, by the way, because a lot of their picks don't belong to them. Uh, I, I, I think there might be something there. Maybe not right away. Maybe not this summer. But down the line, like, there might be something there. There might be a foundation for them to be legitimately good not too long down the line. And I'm probably going to get flamed for that, but I don't care. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, Fred, I think, that was, I think that was great perspective. I mean, especially that note about Mikhail Bridges. I mean, he was the Suns, one of their most consistent players when he was there. And now he's just another Villanova guy coming to New York. All right, should've, Ian, should've been back in to it. you. Should have been in there. Right, right, right. Ian, back to you. Just over the last 15 hours, the Nets got four first-round picks from the Suns and then five second-round picks from the Bucks. just like Fred mentioned. They got a haul. Trying to rebuild the draft stock. What is the state of the Nets franchise looking ahead long-term? Well, we know one thing, that Sean Marks is going to be the architect here. And I think earlier this year, when it was unclear about Irving and Durant, you had people kind of speculating about what would happen here? Would Josiah have to choose between Sean Marks and Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant? I don't know if it ever got to that point, but if it would have, clearly Josiah made the choice because Sean Marks is here, Irving and Durant are not here. And Marks has a very strong, strong pedigree when it comes to the draft. I mean, look at what happened their past three games with Cam Thomas putting up 40-plus points. So he's done well in the draft. They have a ton of draft capital. I'm with Fred, though. I don't think that they are going to be undergoing a huge rebuild here. I think that just based on the way that they had operated and what I had heard about, you know, just part of their goals in terms of wanting to get to the playoffs, I assume they want to stay relevant and kind of inch their way back into the playoff picture as soon as possible. Um, partially financially, it helps you make some money um, if you're ownership. So I don't think there's going to be a long rebuild. I think they'll be aggressive with their picks and with their players and trying to make something happen. Uh, I would assume, again, they'll enter the draft having conversations with the same players they talked about uh, now with particularly Toronto and an OB. Uh, Van Vliet's going to be free, so you're not going to talk about him. And I assume, again, Toronto's going to come hard after Nick Claxton, and maybe that'll be uh, a stopping point there. But, yeah, I think the Nets will be aggressive, and they'll try to win as soon as they can. All right, Ian, we have another fan question for you. It's from My Two Cents on YouTube. They want to change the subject, and it's a little sarcastic. You'll like this one. They say, yes, New Jersey has flexibility now. Back to the Knicks. Ian, anyone you see the Knicks going after on the buyout market? Yeah, you know what? <clears throat> Excuse me. They're going to have open roster spots here. Um, so I would expect Serge Ibaka to be bought out, but I don't think that makes sense for the Knicks. I do think Miami is among the team that's, gonna, that's going to have interest in Ibaka. If he is bought out, uh, everybody's going to be <laughs> wondering about number seven, uh, old number seven, Carmelo Anthony, and what happens there. I, I don't – look, I, I would assume that – Kevin Durant's current team 
they're going to at least talk about Carmelo Anthony and bringing him in because there'll be a place where veterans are going to land uh, in buyout situations. So I would assume Phoenix at least talks about adding Carmelo and maybe Kyrie Irving's team to the Dallas Mavericks. Talk about adding Carmelo because he has a great relationship uh, with Jason Kidd. With the Knicks, where they are right now, I don't think it makes sense because he's not going to get minutes here. Uh, if he decides, hey, I want to I want to just be on a roster and then call it a career, I'm sure the Knicks would oblige him. But uh, I, it doesn't make sense outside of that, and I haven't heard that he's ready to do that yet. Okay. All right, we do have a fan question for you, Fred. The Organic Fanatics is asking, are there real conversations on moving R.J. Barrett? No, not right now. I, I, at least not to my knowledge. I haven't heard anything, and, and I don't believe that there have been any real conversations in that. Look, because Barrett signed an extension yeah. last summer, he has what's called a poison pill in his contract, which essentially is a little salary cap eccentricity that makes him really, really, not impossible to trade, but really, really, really difficult to trade right now. Uh, I think a I didn't really hear any sort of traction on an RJ Barrett involved deal. Um, you know, like, like, like Ian said, I, I, I had heard there was contact with Chicago about Zach Levine, but I think they were really far apart and there was never anything close. And I don't think RJ was involved in that. You know, I know a lot of people speculated publicly about RJ Barrett potentially being involved in an OG and an OB deal. But again, salary stuff is really complicated with his poison pill there. And, and I think the Knicks' objectives in there, Ananobi, I can't speak to exactly how close they got with Ananobi, but I, I always got the impression their, their objectives in Ananobi talks was basically to make it picks-laden. I don't think they were really trying to give up players of consequence, and Evan Fournier's salary fits really neatly into a trade like that in terms of doing the, the math so that you can actually just make the, the salaries work and, and the Knicks obviously could just throw some picks in there. So, so I, I, I have not heard anything worthwhile on them trading or trying to move on from R.J. Barrett. Uh, I, I would have been absolutely floored if I, if R.J. Barrett got traded tonight. I would have been, it would have been by far, I would have been by far the most shocking steal of the trade deadline to me. So, so no, I haven't heard a thing on that. I would have been surprised as well, Fred and Ian, but I can tell you as someone who uh, plays the role of Knicks fan therapist at night after every game, uh, a a vast majority of fans looking to push this kid out of the door. I mean, RJ has not been playing well, especially on the defensive end. It has been a struggle offensively. It took him a little while in the Orlando game to get going. He did have five uh, big points in the fourth quarter, but, you know, fans have just been very impatient with RJ Barrett with the inconsistency offensively. And now defensively, as I said earlier in the show, he's taking a big step back and he's playing a crucial position for the Knicks at that wing spot. And so fans are getting antsy with R.J. Barrett. I would just, you know, urge caution. He's still 22 years old. He's works hard. He puts in the work, allow him to work through his lumps and stick with it. This is what we say when we want to play the kids and we want to invest in development of our youth. Let's give him a little bit of time to see if he can bounce back. But nevertheless, I think fans are getting antsy and who knows what they revisit a Zach Levine trade in the offseason and, and maybe put RJ in that deal. Who knows? Look, I, I always go here with RJ Barrett and, and maybe I'm just too close to it, but I, I just think that he, his work ethic and how he approaches his job day to day is going to allow him to reach his ceiling as a player, whatever that might be. So yeah, I, I'm with CP. Like He's still young uh, just because 
you know, Knicks fans have seen him so much over the past, what, four years. He's still a young player. He's still learning, and he still has room to develop. I, I wouldn't be out on R.J. Barrett. To me, he's a player, no matter what his ceiling is, he's a player who can help you win games if you're a contending team. So I would I would preach patience if I was making any decision on R.J. Barrett. And I think that just the idea that Utah – was, was so insistent on R.J. Barrett in a Donovan Mitchell deal over the summer that tells you at least how one other front office views Barrett. So I think with that said, just everybody relax a little bit and give him some time to figure things out on both ends of the floor. Patience in New York, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about Doesn't exist. Uh, yeah. Of that one. <laughs> All right, we have another fan question for you, Ian, from Gatsby underscore four, five, six. They say, what big name might be available that fits the Knicks timeline? Is our team ready for a superstar? And they're talking about this offseason, I would assume. Um, And so you take Devin Booker off the list, obviously now, Kevin Durant. um, Zach Levine, obviously he's going to be still there with the Bulls taking calls on him today. Um, Ananobi, it's kind of the similar names that we were hearing at the deadline is, does something happen in Philadelphia? That's what I would keep an eye on because, you know, James Harden, the the Houston rumors uh, reported by Adrian Wojnarowski, the idea that he is thinking about Houston, that's only been backed by people um, who, have hearing, who are hearing from Harden's side since then. So if things don't go well in Philly, does James Harden leave? What does that mean for the front office? What does that mean for Joel Embiid? That's why I would keep an eye on Philadelphia if I was thinking about, hey, young players, uh, excuse me, a star player to trade for. And also Atlanta. Um, you just you hear so many different things about Atlanta, how things had not clicked the way the Hawks had hoped they had clicked. Uh, I'm not suggesting Trey Young or, or DeJounte Murray uh, would be available, but I just wonder, you know, are there some mid-tier pieces that you can get from the Hawks because of their situation? So th- those are the names that I would keep an eye on at the moment. Yeah, I would say with the, with this Kevin Durant acquisition by the Suns, uh, the Devin Booker hopes have to have been dwindled. Uh, you know, the Harden thing is so surprising because all we heard was that before he landed in, in Brooklyn, it was that Philadelphia was the place that he really wanted to go. And now he wants, from what the rumors are saying, now he wants to go back to Houston. So that's very interesting. So as Ian said, let's take a look at what happens in Philadelphia. Could a, a potential first round flop or exit uh, expedite things and maybe Leon Rose picks up the phone and, and calls his buddy Joel Embiid and, and offers him something here in New York. But other than that, I, I don't see many more key names out there, you know, being available that can help the Knicks uh, maybe come draft time. Do they get lucky and they're able to move up in the draft by, by parting with some picks? Uh, that's very difficult as well, but uh, I'm, I'm just not seeing it at this moment. Yeah, I will add that one situation that I'm certainly monitoring and I don't think there's anything there yet, but I'm just kind of keeping my ear close to it is what's going on in Minnesota. You know, they, they gave mm-hmm. up so much for Rudy Gobert and they've been treading around 500. It's really taken over as Anthony Edwards' team. And Carl Anthony Towns has missed a good amount of the season now. And obviously Carl Anthony Towns, we've mentioned it many times, but it's necessary to mention, is another former Leon Rose client and has connections to CAA. Uh, and so that relationship is there. The relationship with the front office is there. Uh, obviously, he played for Tibbs. I, I don't know if that would work for or against him in this sense back when he was in Minnesota. Uh, but I think Towns is something that I'm monitoring because I, I would not be totally shocked if Carl Anthony Towns did not finish his current contract 
with the Minnesota Timberwolves. I could see them veering elsewhere. Uh, you know, Tim Connolly has always been a guy who's now running the Timberwolves. He's always been a guy. He's not afraid to make big moves. We saw that with the Gobert trade. And he's also not necessarily slow to admit, okay, this isn't working. Let's try something else. And right now, things are very convoluted with that roster. They just brought in Mike Conley. Maybe they can get a little more comfortable together and go on a run. But if they don't, Towns is kind of their big chip. Uh, and, and the Towns go bear fit has been very, very clunky. So I think that's something that I'm watching. Uh, Ian, I know you mentioned buyout guys as well. There are a few good buyout guys who are going to be on the market. I, I'm pretty sure Reggie Jackson's going to get bought out by, by Charlotte. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure Russell Westbrook is going to end up getting bought out by Utah. Uh, John Wall, I think, is going to hit the market as well. I doubt any of those point guards are going to end up there. The Knicks do have to add someone, though. They gave up three guys and brought back one which means there are 13 guaranteed contracts. Within the next two weeks, by league rule, they, they have to sign somebody. I struggle to see a veteran wanting to sign there on a buyout contract because of Ian, like kind of how you mentioned earlier with the Cam Reddish situation, because of how players can sometimes get buried under tips. Uh, I don't necessarily see a guy wanting to go there on a buyout contract only to find out that they're playing behind certain guys because tips want to stick with his nine-man rotation. Uh, and, you know, they still have other guys who they could put in. They could put in Evan Fournier. They could put in Miles McBride if he's out of the rotation for, for Josh Hart. So, so uh, you know, when Mitchell Robinson's back, they can put in Jericho Sims. So, so I, I, they have to find someone. My guess is it's not going to be some sort of name on the buyout market, and it's going to be kind of a Ryan Archer Diacono type or a Sweet Mikhailov type or maybe one of their two-way guys who they reward with a, with a real contract or something like that. Are you suggesting that Ryan Archer Diacono could have another tour of duty here in New York? I think it would be his third. <laughs> Number three. Third stint. Hey, he's the Villanova guy. And he's the only one on the app. Exactly. Three, exactly. Brunson, they, got a, exactly. they got an app for him, man. He's got to come back. Bring them all back. <laughs> this also, you know, it's an opportunity for the Knicks to reward somebody on their G League team that's been playing well. Um, so I would I would keep an eye on how the Westchester Knicks are doing over the next week, two weeks, and maybe the Knicks, again, reward one of the players down there who's been uh, playing exceptionally well because the, the two-way spots are filled up, but they do have those open roster spots there. All right, Fred, coming to you, just some, you know, rest of the season goals and aspirations for the Knicks. Name a Knicks player who is the X factor if the team wants to make a little more noise than projected this season. Well, I mean, I think the X factor kind of has to be Josh Hart because he's the one we know the least about, about how he's going to fit, right? Uh, you kind of quit and grind known commodity. Julius Randle at this point, known commodity. Jalen Brunson's a known commodity, all of that. Um, I think it's Josh Hart. You know, Hart... One of the things I am really intrigued to see is this team has struggled three-point shooting. And the offense has actually been pretty good. And they have figured out ways to score quite efficiently. And they've kind of meandered around the bottom part of the top 10 in points per possession throughout the whole season, which is a lot higher than I anticipated them being coming into the year. But Hart has been really hesitant to shoot threes this year. And he's only shooting about 30% on them. And so I'm really curious to see, okay, how is he going to come back to basically the level that he was in Portland last year when he shows up in Portland and he's on a tanking team, so he's not going to be shooting nearly as much, but he shoots really well and averages 20 a game for that tanking Portland team. He's not going to average nearly that many points. 
but is he going to be more aggressive looking for a shot? Is there something in the, the change of scenery that's going to allow him to feel a little more empowered as a scorer or as a driver, um, as a facilitator, anything along those lines? Uh, I think the Knicks are really, really into guys who are really good inside the three-point arc. You look at them, and they put together a team of drivers. Brunson's a driver. Randall's a driver. Now Barrett's a driver. Uh, they have a lot of guys who are teams of drivers, and that is definitely Josh Hart. I mean, he is one of the most efficient guards in the league, percentage-wise, inside the three-point arc. He actually has shot like 60% on twos over the last two years. Uh, so I think he could change a little bit of a dynamic for them offensively if he starts to play with the aggression that he has in previous years. I think he's going to be really good for them in transition. He could change the pace of their of their offense a lot, which is something they could use at times. They could use a little kick sometimes to get them going. Uh, and I think defensively, it, he, he's just part of that identity that we've seen them develop over the last two months. Plays really hard, guards really hard on the ball, good team defender. He'll be the first guy into the stands to try to make sure a ball doesn't go out of bounds. Uh, so, you know, maybe he gives them a little spark and all of a sudden they hit kind of a different level. And, you know, with the Nets trading a bunch of their guys, maybe that's a team that falls off. Maybe now instead of chasing sixth, maybe the Knicks get to chase fifth in the Eastern Conference as opposed to sixth. Uh, and maybe there's room for them and Miami to rise above the play-in tournament. So I, I think it kind of has to be has to be hard in that sense. All right, CP, what are your expectations for the Knicks the rest of the way? Yeah, well, for me, my X Factor is going to be Mitchell Robinson, a healthy Mitchell Robinson to help this Knicks team anchor the the center position, what he does for them defensively, how he defends the pick and roll, his offensive rebounding. As Fred mentioned, not a good shooting team. They're always hovering last in, in effective field goal percentage. Mitchell Robinson allows them to, to make those mistakes because he's going to get them more second-chance points. And Jericho Sims and Isaiah Hardenstein have been put playing better as of late, but Mitch, to me, is the X Factor of this Knicks defense they need him back they need him healthy we saw the impact without him the, the the last time they made the playoffs against the Atlanta Hawks they need Mitch back and for me the expectations for this season this is the team that they have continue to push forward uh stay healthy and and fight for that spot right now they're seventh in, in the east half game back of the Miami Heat you see what the Nets are looking like now you hope that they regress a little bit and can the Knicks catch them for that fifth spot I think four or five, if the Knicks are looking for an upset in the playoffs, maybe a four or five matchup with the Cleveland Cavaliers is where they want to be. And so they're three games in back of the Nets right now. They have already lost two out of four in the season series. Uh, Can they come back and and tie the season series, get a little bit lucky here and and push forward for that fifth spot? I think that's my expectation right now. My X factor, Chelsea, is going to be Emmanuel quickly. And, you know, his role may change slightly now with the new acquisition of Josh Hart, but he was playing so well uh, for the Knicks for a while now and both sides of the ball. And if they're going to continue a pace here, I think quickly is going to play a big role in it. Uh, Obviously, he's going to be coming off the bench still, but he'll mix and match with some starters too. And if he can continue to play, the way he was playing pre-deadline, I think the Knicks are going to be just fine. And, you know, he is going to be in line for a uh, a nice extension potentially this summer. And if you go back to where the Knicks were at the beginning of the year and quickly was, I think there was a lot of uncertainty about the future there. But credit quickly for playing incredibly well and basically uh, ensuring himself that he's going to get either a very nice extension from the Knicks or, let's say, Fred was talking earlier about trades for a star. 
any team that would be trading with the Knicks is going to really covet Emmanuel quickly in a deal. So I think quickly is big uh, to me over these next six weeks. And I think expectations, uh, listen, Jim Dolan made it clear in his uh, interview with WFAN, he expects this team to make the playoffs. And so to me, that's where the bar is. And if you meet it, everybody's happy. And if you don't meet it, you know, people get a little jittery. I do think, though, in general, the Knicks have put themselves in a place where it's easy to see how they can develop from here. If you're looking at this thing from an ownership perspective, I think you could be positive about where they are and you can see clear next steps. So I think even if they don't make the playoffs, but they're in the play-in and whatever happens, happens, I could still see everybody being satisfied and content with where things could go from there. All right, guys, thank you so much for your insight. It's time to wrap up this trade deadline edition of the putback. For more from Ian, be sure to visit sny.tv and catch him on Honda Sports Night tonight and all night starting at 11. Our thanks to Fred Katz of The Athletic and CP of Knicks Fan TV for their knowledge and expertise. And thanks for letting me hang out with you guys. The putback returns next Thursday at its regular time of 1 p.m. to recap the first half of the season. For Ian Begley, I'm Chelsea Sherrod. Have a great rest of the day.